electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, what could be an increasingly bullish sign for stocks as the S&P 500 moves closer to a new record high. We'll debate the direction of your money this hour with the Investment Committee. Joining me today, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arius Asset Management. Steve Weiss is here, Pete Nigerian, Joe Terranova. Let me quickly take you to the wall, show you where we stand right now. We're green across the board. Dow's good for 62. S&P about a fifth of a percent. There's the NASDAQ up 0.62 percent. Russell's good for one and a half percent. Ten-year note yield. Big story today, 156 was 155 and change, but that's where that currently stands. The other big news, as Carl alluded to, is that boardroom battle between Exxon and the activist investor Engine Number no. 1. I'm going to go right to Leslie Picker, who's following the action there. David Faber also joining, but you guys take it away, Les. Hey, Scott, thanks so much. Yeah, we're joined by Charlie Penner on the phone. He's the head of active engagement for Engine Number no. 1, which is uh, the activist seeking to add four board seats, uh, four of its director nominees to the board of Exxon. Uh, clearly a contentious fight. Charlie, thank you for being here. Uh, you just put out a statement where you say, uh, as this meeting has been postponed by about an hour in terms of the results from the vote count, uh, should be resuming in about 15 minutes. But you're not pleased with that decision. You say shareholders should not be fooled by ExxonMobil's last-ditch attempt to stave off a much-needed board change in response to significant shareholder pressure and prospect of losing a proxy contest. Shareholders have spoken. ExxonMobil Mobile should accept the result, take the vote, and move forward. It sounds to me like you felt victorious uh, about 45 minutes ago. What's your sense of the vote count as it stands now, and why are you upset by this delay in getting those results? Thanks, Leslie. Um, we're upset because it's been a 10-week campaign in which both sides have more than ample opportunity uh, to present their, their case to shareholders. The board has already expanded itself uh, by adding three new directors, and it's time to let shareholders have their voice. And it is has a very uh, Banana Republic feel uh, to call the meeting, uh, put it on hold for an hour. We are aware that directors of the company are right now calling uh, large shareholders and trying to get them to switch their votes. They're doing a tactic called the whittle down where they tell one shareholder, we'll draw down your votes for this person. They tell another shareholder, we'll draw down your votes for this person. And they try to gradually whittle people down. This is beneath a company uh, like ExxonMobil or quite frankly, any company uh, in, in this country. And it's time for it to stop. It's time for it to let shareholders have their voice. They've had their opportunity to make their case. We've had our opportunity to make our case. This is beneath the company, and they should stop. They should close the polls and tell people what the results are. And just to clarify for the audience, uh, proxy voting is different than electoral voting in that shareholders are able to change their votes until the voting has uh, subsided. Now, just to be clear, I want to re-ask my first question again. Do you believe that your candidates uh, were ahead in the vote count as of uh, the recess that the meeting had at 11.15 a.m.? 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, one of the many wonderful things about the proxy system is we don't know, uh, but we certainly suspect, uh, given uh, the machinations that the company is currently going through, including having members of the board working the phone like call center operators uh, trying to get people to switch the vote, certainly indicates to us that there's been some level of success. That should be allowed to carry the day, not stretching things out into the 11th hour in a, in a 10-week campaign to try. So Exxon said that the reason for uh, delaying the results for an hour was because there was a tremendous amount of voting still coming in. Mm. Uh, do you believe that to be true? And also, what evidence do you have that they've been calling around to shareholders to try to get them to change their vote? Uh, well, on the first part, yeah, the, there's, votes will keep coming in if you keep the polls open uh, past when they were supposed to close. Uh, and we have evidence because we've spoken to people, uh, including people who uh, today and last night uh, told us that they were getting calls from the company. Uh, and, and again, saying, telling one shareholder to, to change it this way, telling another shareholder to change it a different way, and making both think that that's going to lead to one outcome when it could result in unintended consequences. It, it's it, This is... This is classic kind of skullduggery, and it's, this is not the way to move this company forward. Is there a downside, though, to giving shareholders more time to vote? Do you think that ultimately that will lead to potentially a, a more um, holistic result because more people have had a chance to, to have no, their vote? No, they're calling people who have already voted and asking them to change their vote. And they have the sole ability to close the polls as soon as they get enough people to say yes. This is not a democratic expansion. This is the opposite. Okay, my colleague David Faber has a question for you. Hey, David. Yay, Charlie. What is your, I mean, I know you can't, uh, get, well, give us a sense. What, your, what is your proxy solicitor been telling you about your expectations in terms of getting four seats, three seats, or, or where you were poised to be, at least, uh, prior to this delay? You know, unfortunately, David, we don't see uh, a not insubstantial uh, portion of the vote that, com that comes through registered holders, uh, that comes through the employee uh, pension plan, and that comes through people who vote outside of the Broadridge system. So it's a little bit of guesswork. Uh, we certainly have a, a good shot uh, at, at being uh, some level of successful here, but only the company has that information, which, again, is another, we feel, uh, kind of imbalanced uh, factor in the process. They, they can see exactly right now what the vote is, right. and they know exactly when they can get enough, switch the outcome, and shut down the vote. I mean, poll. you know, it seemed to be somewhat of an uphill battle, but you were getting some significant institutional support. But this is a stock that I think is held as much as half is held by retail, which typically does support management. Did you get any sense that you were getting retail support here? Uh, we were certainly getting enough uh, if, if other things broke our way to, to have some level of success here. And, and the, you know, these are, again, Retail had, um, you know, they were given the opportunity to vote in a fair and free fashion, but cherry-picking uh, just enough of them to switch the result uh, and, uh, and then shutting down the polls, that, that's not giving anyone a voice. That's just wrong. So you did note in your opening statements uh, at today's meeting that one of the nominees did look like uh, he was going to fall short. You had a conversation about what that meant and that it was a long shot from the beginning. Uh, what about the other three nominees? Do you have a sense of where they're coming in uh, currently or at least as of this morning? Again, as I said, unfortunately, it, 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 we, we can't, we can guess. It looks like... Um, you know, at least there's a close shot at some level of success, uh, but um, that picture could be changing right now as we speak as the company works the phones, which is, again, just, it's, it's wrong. Uh, Charlie, have you been calling shareholders during this hour as well? Yeah, we've been calling them, asking them not to change their vote. I think that's different. All right. 
Charlie Penner, engine number one, head of uh, active engagement uh, for the firm. We appreciate you joining us, and we will look forward to those vote results uh, in about eight minutes' time, hopefully. Let's hope so. Thanks so much. All right. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Yeah, Les, and just quick with, with you and David before I let, let you guys run. I mean, this was always viewed, as you guys know, and I'd like you both to weigh in, Les, first, um, as a long shot oh, yeah. for engine number one, uh, obviously. And, and I'm, I'm reading some of the chatter out there that win or lose, um, and maybe lose, uh, that this is still going to be a watershed moment of sorts for shareholder activism, that a firm um, of this size, small, right, a $50 million p- position, uh, in ExxonMobil can still push a company like that around. That's right. When they first invested, it was about $40 million, uh, about 0.02% of the company. Now, they did have early support from pension funds. They've increased that support over time. They did get support from, at least mixed support, from the proxy advisory firms, ISS supporting three-fourths of their nominees, Glass-Lewis supporting about half of their nominees. That, of course, helps. But as David alluded to earlier, Half of this investor base is retail, which is a big wild card here, and it could swing either way. We've seen it take place in the case of ADP, which has a large retail component, that the case swung or that the uh, the votes swung more toward management. But then in P&G, it was a lot tighter, uh, which is, again, as as Charlie Penner said, uh, they saw this as a long shot. Now it looks like it's a, a lot closer of a vote than a lot of people would have expected. Yeah. And I mean, David, you guys alluded to this, uh, the retail fact, you know, 50 percent of holders here uh, are estimated to be retail. Yeah. Uh, And and typically they do go with management if they vote at all, as you know, Scott, in many of these contests and have to be constantly reminded to send in their proxy or and do it uh, any way they can. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, listen, at the outset of this, it was viewed I I viewed it as sort of a quixotic marketing campaign in part for a, a firm we'd never heard of. But Obviously, being attached to Calsters was helpful, and we've had Chris Aylman join us any number of times discussing this, and then getting some support from the proxy advisory firms as well. Now, don't forget, D.E. Shaw, a far larger firm, was thinking about mounting an activist campaign. It's something I'd reported on for some time. And then you had two board members added, Jeff Riubin, of course, who we know well from formerly a Value Act, uh, and, uh, and Mike Angelakis, former CFO of Comcast, both of whom are well-regarded to a board that is already very well-regarded in many ways. But that was not enough for Engine One and for Calsters and a number of their institutional supporters who say they want still more energy experience on the board and more experience in terms of a major transition, which is what they are trying to push this company towards. Although, for his part, Darren Woods would tell you that's exactly what the midst of, we're in the midst of right now, I should add, by the way. Hoping to hear from Mr. Woods when this is over and done with later today, <laughs> if we can, to bring him on CNBC. Yeah, one, one more postscript, too, right? A- engine number one, as you say, you know, was a firm none of us had really ever heard of. But, you know, Charlie Penner, who just did the interview, is no stranger to the activist fights, as you know, guys, from his days at Jana with Barry Rosenstein. So he's been through a number of these battles. So the firm may be small and unknown. He is no stranger, though, to uh, mixing it up. Guys, thank you so much for sitting at the table with us, taking care of that. Uh, Appreciate your insights very much. David Faber, Leslie Picker. All right, let's get back to the group. Pete, I want you to just wrap this up for me. You're the only one who plays in Exxon. Um, Frankly, I don't even know. As a a holder of of options, you don't get a proxy vote, I don't think. But you correct me if I'm wrong. Do you care? Do you care on the on the outcome? You know, not really, Scott, especially because of the fact and it's why I'm in the options here. I actually started to get a little bit uh, 
uh, pushed away on Exxon after Rex Tillerson left and joined the Trump administration as Secretary of State. I, I, I like the company. I still think they do a lot of things right, but I, I shifted over to Chevron and, and Michael Wirth and what they've been doing over there, which has been absolutely outstanding. So I own stock there, but I own options in Exxon, and I, I usually use those as a proxy, Scott, for oil, for the XLE, for, for a different, different matters, not just Exxon specific. So for me, yeah, this is, uh, it's great, it's, it's, it's interesting theater, but for me it's not really a huge effect because I'm not in the shares. Yeah, the other, look, the, the other big story yeah. that, that I wanted to jump off with today as we were just getting this Engine 1 uh, interview lined up, and I'm so glad that we had that, is the market itself. If you would have told me Joe Terranova, that you get a couple of notable Fed people uh, talk about tapering. The fact that, yeah, we're, we're talking about tapering. San Francisco Fed, Mary Daly tells CNBC, yeah, we're talking about talking about tapering. Clarida, it may well be that in coming meetings, we'll be at the point where we begin discussing scaling back the pace of asset purchases. You told me we'd have that and the market would stand up and the 10 year would be at 155. You said what? Let me get to that one second. Very quickly on ExxonMobil. No, I Exxon want this. No, I want this. I want this right here. Sorry, we moved on. Let's go, please. So what I would tell you is that there is clear resiliency within the market currently. You experienced a cryptocurrency excessive leverage sell-off. The market was able to power through that well. I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing a catch-up phase. You had the S&P and the Dow Industrial, which both made highs in the early part of May. Now you have the NASDAQ, which last reached a high at the end of April. That is now the leading index. Scott, I think the opportunity becomes now looking towards the Russell. I said on Monday, I think the market moves sideways with opportunity. The opportunity is lean towards the Russell and small caps. I gave uh, Patty, our producer, three names before that I would focus on. One is health equity. That's obviously a health insurance name. The second is MCOR in the industrial space, and then Mollison Company in financials. The Russell is the most diversified sector index that there is. 76% of the index is encompassed by six sectors with a weight in between 12 to 18%. I think that's where we should pivot it towards as the opportunity, because as you said, there is clear resiliency in this market. Kerry, I mean, the 10 years at 155, you've got two Fed people talking about, yeah, we're talking about tapering. Isn't that a buy signal for stocks? Tell me why it's not, because that's what I'm hearing from some of the fund managers that, that I speak to, that rates make no sense where they are. Fed policy makes no sense how it is. But if it's going to be here, so be it. And I'm playing it long. Well, we're believers that the economy is growing in a very, very strong way right now. And I think what's going on with rates is that that's a signal, if they can taper, that we're growing at, you know, six to seven percent this quarter and who knows about next quarter, that we don't need that kind of soft policy to boost the economy. It's a very, very bullish signal for the economy. And the translation is that stocks can keep going higher. I think that the growth stocks have shown over the last 10 days that they can power through all of the sort of, you know, psyche to just own reopening, just own cyclicals. If you look at a group of names that are, are, are growth names, Twilio, PayPal, Facebook, and Google, those are names we own. They're up between 6 and 17% in the last 10 days 
days, the market's up a little over 2%. So again, that shows interest rates not going up. People don't need to borrow as much, it appears. Lots of cash, lots of profitability. And the market, therefore, is responding to the growth of the economy, the, the growth stocks coming back, the Russell Health Equity. Right on, Joe, we own that. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, I think that this exactly kind of market that is playing to a broader growth and value type of environment. All right. So, Steve Weiss, you know, back to my conversation. The policy is ridiculous. It's too much. You can't play the fundamentals, said this one fund manager to me before we got on the air today. They should be tapering of the Fed. They're not. It just feels like it's going to go higher. Right. You can't invest on the fundamentals. The fundamentals would suggest that interest rates should be much higher than where they are today at 155. The fundamentals would suggest that the Fed is doing too much. Right. We're expecting an economic boom. We were already in one. And yet the Fed is so accommodative. So how do you play that? Well, if rates are going to be where they are, it is what it is. You play the market long. Does that make sense to you? It, it does make sense. And it's exactly what you should be doing. And let's take a look at some of the recent auctions. As I mentioned last week, we had the, uh, the four-week note that was oversubscribed four to one. That's, it's always oversubscribed. That was a big cover. And guess what was the rate? The rate was zero. Yesterday, we had the 42-day money management auction, only $40 billion, but that came in at virtually zero. Again, a big cover on it. So, so the world is awash in liquidity. We've seen the buns. They've started to move up. They're still below zero, but you've got real rates here now below zero. The encouraging news for the market is that as the Fed talks about tapering, as you point out, the market's held its level. However, that's where we are right now. Let's talk about when we get some numbers on Friday, personal consumer expenditures, PC pricing, and see what the market does when they get actual inflation numbers. So my view is that we've seen some sort of pullback, small, on lumber, on iron ore, on copper, still at historically high levels. But when those, when Europe starts opening up again, and it starts to open up, when it really hits its stride, you'll see prices move up aggressively. So right now, so for the next, call it whatever you want, few weeks or month, I think the market's okay, which is why I put some cash back into the market. Still have a good reserve, but yeah. it's going to be a narrower advance, and it's truly going to be stock picking as opposed to sector picking, as opposed to market value growth. Pure stock picking is what's going to drive it. All right, 4,200, where the S&P currently sits. Looks like we're pretty much at the highs of the day. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer. He's the chief market strategist, Can't Accord Genuity. Tony, welcome back. Hey, Scott. Great to be with you. Where's your 10% correction? Well, it's happened certainly in some of the NASDAQ names and the SPACs have been hit. A lot of the, a lot of the fluff that was in the market going into the uh, early April period has certainly come out of it. So you're still in this extreme overbought condition, but you have changed the sentiment. Um, the National Association of Active Independent Managers sentiment index has come down. So I think it's been this rolling correction, Scott, and I think it, the next place that it could actually come into play is where everyone is. A year ago today, we had come out with our offensive uh, position in the market. If you remember, I think I did on your shows, the banks and tanks. Very unpopular. The FANG stocks were ripping. Why would you never want to be in the FANG stocks? And of course, they haven't done anything since August. And I think everybody is positioned at this point for an extraordinarily fast growth economy, inflationary pressure. So everybody's on the other side of the boat now where they're in the cyclical. So if there is to be a bit of a correction, which I believe still over the summertime, 
I think it's going to be in those areas that everybody's positioned. I mean, you've been looking, though, for you were looking, I think, for a 10 percent correction in the in the S&P. Right. What what about for all the reasons that that I just laid out at the top of our program from the conversation that I had with this fund manager as to why you you can't be. I mean, look, he said you can't be too short. You can't be too long. But the idea you had two people talk about Fed tapering and what the market do. So what? Rates went down to one fifty five. Scott, here's an interesting point that I had to do some research on this because the number one question I'm getting is the same one you're getting. And topic is how can the 10 year be at a 155 with inflation expectations continually going up? And I'm going to give you an answer that's going to make you and everybody else go bananas. There's more buyers than sellers. Last month, in the month of April, you had 80 billion error or 68 billion of treasuries issued. You had 80 billion of Fed purchasing. That doesn't include the government security purchases coming out of the banks. Remember, when you throw all this money into the bank accounts of people with a fiscal stimulus, it gets invested somewhere. And it's not going to get invested in you know, high growth stocks. It's going to go into safety vehicles. So you're having such a significant surge in money within the banking system that's got to get invested that it's overwhelming. The demand is overwhelming. You tell me why. Tell me why with a 10 year at 155 that the Nasdaq doesn't deserve to be a lot higher than it is right now. Why does growth? Why should growth stocks be where they are if the 10 year is at 155? That in and of itself suggests that the Nasdaq's too low, doesn't it? Well, the, the, the yields haven't really changed in the last month and a half. We've been in this trading range for the 10 year note yield for le- over a month. And the growth stock, what's been amazing, we use the 10-day rate of change indicator on growth versus the Russell 1000 growth versus the Russell 1000 value. You're seeing volatility that you rarely see, and it only comes into play after a recession. So now you've had this bounce in growth. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, it looks like it looked like growth was going to roll over and die, and everything was breaking down. I think we have to be very careful in this environment to try and make a big call out of these highly volatile moves. We're, Scott, Think about what happened coming out of the great financial crisis and, of course, the dot-com bust. Every recession we go into has a a historic and unique reason that drives us into correction or recession, a bear market, and a credit crisis. The reaction is the same every single time. It's never different. You throw as much money at it as you can from either the monetary and the fiscal stimulus side. This one's no different. The human nature coming out of the recession-driven move is the same. You get a massive rally off the low. And then in those two occurrences, in the early spring, you go into a beginning of a corrective phase that takes you into the middle of the summer. I think we're in that. Thus far, it's rolling. And I think you have a little bit, if I were heavy into the cyclicals, which is my multi-year plan, if you're heavy into the cyclicals, which continue to rally, I might just take a little bit of profit and be ready to attack okay. them again and get long. Well, I, like how, I like how everybody tries to use these historical references when we're coming out of a period that basically has no historical reference. I mean, if you want to go back to 1819, like if you want to go back to 1819 and 2020, uh, in 1920, then, then fine. But, you know, using Scott. these references of these other Scott. crises that have Scott. happened and suggested it's similar like to what's happened now. Crisis? Is this similar like to the, the great, great financial, financial crisis? crisis? Is this Maybe really similar to that? That was a massive credit crisis and other issues that happened. Is this really similar to that? This was a you forced shutdown of, of the economy. Hmm? You have the same credit problems going into it. You had to shut down a credit. I, as I said to you, it's always unique going in. It's not that I'm not saying that that wasn't unique. The response by the Fed 
and the fiscal stimulus is always the same. I'm not telling you it's it's not different. Of course, it's different of why we went in, but the response by the monetary and fiscal authorities is always the same. We're in a heavy leverage system. Throw as much money at as you can, and the market goes into a correction mode when you get to the point where you're wondering about the Fed. We're at that point. Let me get back to the original point. So you don't believe in this bounce that we've gotten in growth. And I look at mega cap tech, right? We talk about it all the time. Over the last yeah. week, Alphabet's up five and a half percent or five five percent, excuse me. Facebook, four and a half, Microsoft, three and a half. But you get the picture, right? These yeah. stocks, after stagnating, have started moving again. You're calling you know what on that move? No, I'm saying that it's going to prove temporary. It could continue for a little while like it has over the course of the last six months. Actually, since last fall, you've had this extraordinary volatility of growth versus value. And growth hasn't gone anywhere. We're currently in a positive trade for that growth. I think I've proven over the last 30 years of doing TV with you that I'm not the best trader in the world. The current momentum is in the growth stocks. I think it should be ultimately the winner if we do have this summertime digestion worried about the Fed. And then from there into from the middle of the summer to the end of the year, I think we have a nice cyclical rally again. So honestly, I think that the growth has a little more upside. But as we get into the end of the summer, I want to be lagging into the cyclicals. Okay. Uh, Kerry Firestone has a question for you, Tony. Yeah, so, Tony, I'd like you to just take a look at this uh, chart we put together, table. And on the top, it has the, the large cap growth. and the bottom, you see some cyclicals. They all trade around the same multiple on average. And then I didn't take my expectations for the future. I took 2017 to 2019 before the pandemic. These are growth rates of sales and earnings for those companies. And you can see how much greater the sales for the top group is versus the bottom. Don't you think that deserves some premium if the multiples are about the same now? I'm not sure why that cyclical trade should go a lot further when those stocks have all come up tremendously. Please comment. That's, and that's what I'm saying. I think they could go into a corrective phase. Those cyclicals go into a corrective phase. You're going to have some margin compression from the combination of labor, commodity prices, and they're going to, of course, try to pass through the cost. So I think, again, from from actually in April when I came out with my power on stall idea, um, I think from there into the summertime correction, there will be a relative underperformance of those cyclicals and values. Worried about what the next growth period of the market's going to look like. It's in the it's in the late summer to early fall where I want to be legging into those cyclical areas. And of course, that assumes that they underperform over the summer. Joe Terranova, get into the food fight, please. <laughs> so, Tony, Unless small you got cap nothing. value. I'm sure you got something. I was just beginning to start with it, Scott. Let me finish. Small cap value is <laughs> clearly on, underperformed recently. <laughs> small cap value is underperformed recently, Tony. Uh, how should I be thinking about I began the show by directing my comments specifically towards the underperformance in the last couple of weeks for the Russell. Scott is talking about a 155 tenure. He's correct. Though 10 years should not be there, given the economic environment, and the perception of inflation. But I want you to talk specifically towards small cap value. Is that the one component of the capital market equity structure that I should be focusing on here as we head into July earnings? I don't have a high conviction there, uh, Joe. I, again, I, 
if I'm right and we go through this indigestion period, you're just going to have a lot of volatility. From an from a, a, a intermediate to long-term standpoint, I think small cap value is an excellent place to be. If, if you've printed all this money and you have this enormous amount of excess liquidity and you actually get a continuation of the synchronized global recovery, uh, once India, Brazil, and some of the, in Europe come out of the pandemic and really start to open up, why would you ever want to overweight the biggest and most mature companies? That's large cap U.S. So I think what you what you look to do is go small over large, cyclical over defensive, uh, emerging over developed in commodities. Once we get through this summertime indigestion, Steve Weiss. Yeah. So my head's spinning from this conversation because we've covered every possible <laughs> outcome. So let me tell, tell you where we land. Here's where we land, that you're different, doing with a different time frame in, your, in the analysis. We're at 155 now, but in March, we breached 170 to the upside. And I can tell you that we were not as optimistic, nor had seen the results on inflation that we've seen since then. So something's clearly out of whack, and I think it's the 10-year, I think it's rates. So you're talking about a moment in time, whereas the equity market, on the other hand, is linked continued growth. So on the margin, yeah, these large cap growth companies, and I'm talking about the snowflake, snowflakes, the crowdsources, et cetera, they will correct. So take this pop they already to start corrected. scaling out of it in terms they of- They already corrected. No, they're back where- Snowflakes, no, true. Totally I'm talking corrected. about the time frame. Look, by the way, we're adding to the F5 tornado just blew corrected. into the studio, but otherwise known as Jim Cramer. I have Snowflake tonight. Frank <laughs> Slubenstock has corrected, and now it's ready. Right? Hey, Weiss, Jim, haven't these, yes, haven't those stocks corrected Jim, already? Jim, do you call, hold on, hold on, before Jim just overtakes this. Do I would you never say do that, that to you. where Snowflake bottomed, <laughs> where Snowflake you. bottomed at about 185, and now it's what, 220 or so? To me, that's a trade up. So yeah, there was a correction. Let's talk about what's happening right now. That moved up. You've got crowdsource that's up 20%. Frank Slootman, ask him how he thinks about corporate governance when the guy's getting paid nearly a billion a year. Snowflake's one company I wouldn't own. I don't care what their future is. He wrote his book, the first part of his book. He didn't want to come back to work. He was drawn in. Not unlike the Godfather. He was drawn in. Poor guy. Poor guy. Let me ask you this, Jim. 90 million a month in stock options. He didn't reprice it. Let let, let me, rather than debate Frank Slootman's pay package. Let me, let, Jim, let me ask you this. Why'd you blow in here? What got you all worked up that you wanted to come part, be part of this conversation? Because I'm glad you did. But what uh, was it? I was torn because I love Tony so much, but I thought you were down there giving him the business. Uh, and yet I agree with you. But I was not going to let Tony be thrown under the bus or, or sent to the canvas because he's been so fabulous, even though I but disagree I with him right now. I just felt it was important to come out here and say to my friend Tony, I am in your corner, even as I want to throw the towel. Don't throw the towel, dude. Never throw the towel on the kid. Scott, Scott had game. Scott had we'll game. See. He brought it today. We'll I mean, you were a little sunny listen, frankly. <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. All right, the thrower in Manila. Hey, a coach, coach, judge, whatever. Someone's thrower in Manila, right? So, Jim, I mean, you, you, um, you believe this sort of notion that you, you may not agree where things are, you may think that the Fed should be doing or should be doing less. You, sh- you may think that the fundamentals suggest that rates should be higher where they are. There's this, a man. This is the game you have to play, so There's why not man, play it? There's a man, a great man, a man who owns the Panthers. And 
He's befuddled. Why? I was talking to him yesterday. Taught me bonds. I'm talking to Dave Tepper. He thinks the bond market, like everybody else, is a short. But if the bonds are telling the truth, which they often do, then the cheapest stock in this market are FANG. And I go. think FANG's back. There you go. That's what we were saying, right? That, that you tell me why, Jim, the NASDAQ shouldn't be a lot higher with the, it should with be the a lot higher. 155? Amen. And we're going into Memorial Day weekend. Historically, I'm, look, I'm even willing to go. I'm willing to go. Steve, Steve, listen to me. I'm willing to go Tesla. I'm willing to buy Tesla. Right. Isn't that, isn't that Weiss? Yeah. I'll go back to you, Weiss. Isn't that a, that's the whole question, yeah. right? All of those stocks either got stuck in the mud or fell down a lot because everybody was so worried about the spike in interest rates. Now, if interest rates are backing mm-hmm. down, you tell me why those stocks shouldn't go back up. Steve? They should. They have. And let me confirm Jim's conversation with Dave, because we'll after continue. our golf game yesterday, Dave and I spoke about the markets at length. And all these big bond managers are offsides. They've been short bonds. I'm not saying Dave is. I'm not talking about his positions. They've been short bonds. So what you've had now is a massive covering rally as they've seen the auctions. The reason why you're not going to see the continued mega advance off the bottoms in the snowflakes, crowdsource, et cetera, is because rates are going to go back up as we get inflation numbers. So they weren't scared about an increase in rates. They were seeing the increase in rates. So now the Fed has more credibility because maybe it's transitory as we've seen the pullback in commodity prices. But I think you can be long the market. And yes, yeah, Scott, you're right. This is, no, this is not the same as 08 because the difference is, is that going to 08 and through that crisis, the consumer didn't want to spend, right? They were worried. They were scared. Here, with the force closing, you had consumers who want to spend going into it. We started to see that. And then you were told you can't spend anymore. So this is going to be consumer-led recovery, as it always is, with two-thirds of GDP. But their thirst for acquisitions of personal goods for experiences are what's going to continue to drive it and drive it right through the supply chain, where, like me, you order a bike and you got to wait till November of 22 yeah. to get one. I don't know what kind so, of bike. Look, I don't so know, I what, kind of, I don't know what kind of bike you ordered that you got to wait till the end of 22 to Anyone. get it. But that, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Tony Dwyer, Tony Dwyer, I deserve to hear from you. You, you deserve the, the, the chance to speak for, for certain. Please do. Uh, then I'm Pete, I got Pete, I'm coming to you next. So Pete, get ready. Tony, Tony, go. I, I didn't hear you, Tony. Go ahead. Tony, go ahead. What would you like me to talk about, Scott? You don't have a reaction to what you just heard? If you're done, you can go. But I thought you wanted to get in. Wow. Did you the, just say you could go? Hmm? Well, the, I'm trying to figure out where the hell we are on this whole thing. Why don't you this give us some really unusual activity? Tony, you're the one who was calling for a 10% correction, not us. <laughs> not us. Correct, and I still am. So, you know what? This, this has been fun. Thank you. You're out? Which part didn't you get? You've been GameStop? Wow. He's been GameStop. Right. No, it's oh, just it's on, frustrating Tony. because, Tony, no, it's frustrating because you say something, and then, you know, I'm trying to figure out where we are in the conversation. This is really simple. The Fed and fiscal authorities have thrown an enormous and historic amount of excess liquidity at the market. It drove the market up 89% in a straight line. We're having extraordinary volatility between growth versus value because we don't know where the Fed is and what they're going to do, right? So that that is not going to get cleared up now that we're in front of a two weeks in front of a Fed meeting where you've got 
two weeks where the Fed officials are not going to speak because they're in a quiet period. And at the same time, we're getting big economic data. I don't think it's wise for me to tell my clients and come on television and make a strong statement in that environment. I think it's a power on stall. We have okay, but I mean, you don't you don't think going on television two weeks ago and talking about a 10 percent correction is not a powerful statement to make? The calendar didn't move. No, 10 percent. It was we have a 10 percent correction every year. We've had the 10 percent correction in many of the Nasdaq stocks. The semis were down 15. It's been a rolling correction. We'll see where it ends up by the end of the summer. Scott, I told you if I, if if my career was based on my trades, it'd be a lot tougher. That's not my gig. You know that's not my gig. Tony, look, before you said you were going to bail, I was going to tell you how much we love talking to you because you keep it real and you're willing <laughs> to mix it up. I mean, for real, you know. Yeah, but at some point, the mix up, it gets it, it takes over the show instead of the information. And that's not I'm, I'm, I'm on the information. Tony, if that's you call for a 10 percent correction and we're going to hold you accountable, if that doesn't feel good, I'm sorry. But that's the way we I, I, buddy. That has nothing to do with it. That has not I ha, I'm accountable to my clients and the firm and, of course, you and the viewers. I called for it on on April 12th. I'm standing by it. I'm not changing it in any way. And I don't know how somehow you brought it to that level. Of course, I'm not backing away from it. It's my job. All right. That's all good. We just wanted to have a conversation about it. And sometimes it gets a little heated. That's the way things happen on this program. That's right. I hope you'll come back. We'd like to have you back. If you won't, that's the way we'll it see, is. Buddy. All right, we'll talk. Tony Dwyer, Can Accord Genuity. Jim Cramer, whew, thank you for running out here. Wow. I'm blaming it all on you. You got it all going. Wow. You came running out that here. That was unusual activity. I don't know what that was. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna hold that, I'm, I think I'm going to hold that one for a month. I'm going to read what's in front of me now, hey, hey, which says ZipRecruiter has begun trading. That's neutral. Thank do, you. Do we, do we want to show that? Is that what we're supposed to do? No one's talking to me in my ear, so I have no idea what's going on. How about this? Let's take a break and we'll do unusual activity when we come back. Good to see you. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Multiple people have died after a shooting at a rail yard in San Jose, California. Authorities say the suspected shooter is among the dead. Multiple law enforcement agencies are on the scene, including the FBI and Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. New York prosecutors have convened a new grand jury that will consider evidence in a criminal investigation into former President Trump's business dealings. Trump continues to call the investigation a witch hunt that is politically motivated. And the chief executive of the Tokyo Olympics says that organizers aren't even talking about canceling or delaying the games. That's despite an editorial calling for them to be called off that was published in a Tokyo newspaper that's a sponsor of the event. Today, city officials are asking the central government to extend its COVID state of emergency as variants take hold. We should say that NBC Universal, of course, the parent company of CNBC, owns the U.S. media rights to the upcoming Olympics. And tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, where the games stand with now less than two months to opening day, and also a look at the prospects for fans attending the Olympics. 
You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, thank you. The CNBC NFT auction has closed. Tillman Fertitta is the winner. 22 Ether or the equivalent of $61,210. Keep in mind, 37 tokens were also sold at $1,000 each. So the grand total raised for charity is $98,210. By the way, Tillman Fertitta will be on Power Lunch today to talk more about it. We appreciate everything that he just did um, for that great charity and in Mark's memory as well. Up next, Pete's latest trades in unusual activity as if there hasn't been enough unusual activity up to this point on this program already. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Okay, Pete, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? All right. I'm going to start with Harley Davidson Hog. I'll tell you what, Scott, this one's interesting. Stocks trading 47 and a half. They're buying the June 48 calls. They're paying $1.60 for 5,000 of those, expecting that stock to start testing those 52-week highs up there in the low 50s. So that one's pretty interesting. Vuzi, I know this is a Steve uh, White stock. He really loves this stock. We're talking about augmented reality. The stock was 30 back in April, dropped into the teens, now trading at about 1780. We had a buyer of a little over 4,000 of the June 20 calls. Those are going for about 80 cents up to about 90 cents. Lastly, I got a quick update for you, IGT. Now, on May 11th, we had unusual option activity in here. The June 20s, they were going for a dollar. Today, those are going for 430. Stock's up to 24. Nice gain for the stock, obviously $4. But look at those options going from a dollar to 430. It's a pretty big jump, Scott. Love it, and I'm out of that trade. Okay, good stuff, Pete. Thank you very much for that. Ask Halftime is next. If you send your questions in by video, we'll play them on the air. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. Okay, the Investment Committee answering your questions now. Kerry, video one for you. Let's watch. Hi, this is Robert from Canada. After all the motion we had with Jack Ma, could you tell me what to do with BABA? Thanks. Okay, what do you think? Yeah, Robert, uh, we like BABA right here. It sells at a big discount to the market, largest e-commerce platform in China. The political risk is abating, and we think, look at Facebook, it overcame its political upheaval, and we think that will happen with BABA. Okay, thank you. Steve Weiss, let's watch the video. 
Scott, it's Sam Bredo here from Lake George, New York. Love the show. My question is for Steve Weiss. I got MT and PH July 2019 for $20 and out August 2019 for $30. I thought it was a good trade till it ran to 210. My question for Steve is when and why did you get in and when and why did you get out? Thank you so much. Okay, Steve. Yeah, I, I don't remember when I got in and out, but I'll tell you why I got out. It's that the uh, clean energy trade had hit the skids and was starting to decline, and it's been there. And particularly Enphase is a very high multiple stock. Goldman's price target requires an 80 PE. So that's why I'm out. Good company. I just think I need a lower price. Okay, thank you. Pete, a video one for you. Hi, guys. This is Bob in Denver. With the soaring shipping rates, I'd be interested in knowing what you think of some of the shipping stocks, specifically NMM, Navios, and DAC, Deneos. Thanks. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, these are absolutely fabulous stocks, and they've already run like I, I've never seen before, Scott. I mean, they're moving like tech stocks. So I think that they're fully valued for now, but obviously they've got a great, they still have some uh, runway left. I stick with UPS and those names instead. Okay, good stuff. Joe, lastly, video one for you. Yep. Hi, Mike G here from Ramsey. Want to get into cryptocurrency, but with governments unsure or uneasy about it, as of this date, I'd like to hear your thoughts before I jump into anything like this. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, Mr. Weiss. Oh, no, Joe, Mr. sorry. Turner. My uh, bad. I, I'm still distracted from I, before. I, I appreciate the question. I, 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 would, I would say uh, low single-digit exposure. Low single-digit exposure is what I would like, and I don't want any of the altcoins uh, as cryptocurrencies eventually evolve into crypto assets, stay higher up in quality. That's Ethereum and Bitcoin. Okay, thank you, Joe. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades next. Okay, Kerry, start us off, please. Final trades. What do you have for us? Um, Booz Allen, BAH. It's a mid-cap growth name, defense contractor, heavy into cybersecurity and trading at a very attractive multiple. Okay, thank you. Joe Terranova. Small cap energy, Texas Capital Bank Corp. TCBI is pulled back by it. Okay, thank you. Steve Weiss. Recently added to Facebook, I think this is on verge of a breakout to all-time highs, and it's still cheap. Okay, yep. The uh, bank stocks have been moving again, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Pete Nigerian with the beautiful backdrop. Yes, sir. I'm going to give you Virgin Galactic. I love this name. I've owned it for a long time. I've sold calls against it for a long time. I'll continue to do so. And I just saw some call buying. I think the stock's ready to bounce a little bit higher, Scott. Okay, so you'll, you'll own some Kathy Wood stocks. Don't play it off like you won't, Pete. I know how you roll, man. <laughs> hey, man, I own, this, I own this for free from all the options I've sold in okay. this thing for over a year. So <laughs> okay. I got to tell you, it's, it's great. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks for watching. The Exchange starts Thanks. now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.